two turn can't hear what these suckers say. I'm out here doing everything you suckers can't. Two and me from some bands trying to bust the bank. The way I'm coming, it ain't fair. Well, here we are. Episode, who knows? Who knows what episode? This it might is be episode, well, our 10th episode that we've recorded, but. We'll probably put this one out a little bit sooner. Oh, well, then that's good. Episode 10, it's sort of a nice round number. And what we decided, so for anybody who's listening today, Verda and I decided that we should do an episode together and just talk about who we are and what we believe in and why we decided to do this crazy podcast. Wait, right? what's the podcast called again? Break some dishes <laughs> break some damn dishes We're yeah better at this every time but we either forget to hit the record button or we forget to tell everybody what the <laughs> podcast is or something yeah yeah well and and i'll start the the story in, in, in you know to, to talk a little bit about the how verda and i have known each other for a long time we actually Found out yesterday we're exactly the same age. Actually, Verda's a month older than I am. So she's the senior of the two of us. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, John. Yeah. Thank God we're on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Verda and I were having breakfast one morning in New York City because as we are good friends, when I'm in San Francisco, I try to get together with Verda to say hello. And when she's on the East Coast, she tries to get together. I mean, that's just what you do, right? You, that's how you stay in touch with your friends in this industry. And so we were having breakfast one day, one morning, and Verda was telling me about this passion of hers that revolves around the climate crisis that we're in. And Verda was telling me that this is a big deal and this is an urgent crisis and we can't just keep waiting for somebody else to fix it, right? I mean, that's that's what you were saying. Like you wanted to get you wanted to get moving. Oh yeah. And and I think you also wanted to um, you also wanted to get the design community involved, right? That's right. I'm passionate about that and really trying to raise the alarm and get interior design specifically because I feel like we're behind AIA's issued a pledge, Lance ASLA's issued pledges. We've got a lot of other professional organizations, design designers, even graphic designers, you know, making some kind of pledge towards doing something about the environment. And Interior designers, we're focused on, I feel like we're focused on people, which is great, but there's we're interconnected, right? Yeah. And the more Verda told me about what she thought about things and how the design community needed a call to action, I loved it. And I told her, I said, oh my God, like that's my passion point too. I, I think that we're in a crisis and we're not doing enough and we need to like figure out our shit here, you know? Well, and that's You had, a, you had a, a, a little dog and pony that you had going for uh, several years around toxic materials, which you were yeah. passionate about. Yeah, and I think that's how I really got passionate about the subject was when I was with human scale doing workplace strategy, I had the opportunity to do a lot of traveling. And at the time human scale was very, very active. And they, I mean, 
human scale is very active in this conversation and have done a lot around material transparency and understanding what is in your product and removing those products or those materials that are toxic and poisonous to to people and planet and animals. And the more I talked about it, the more involved I got in it. I was able to do some work with the Next Wave Collaborative, which we've spoken already with some people from Next Wave. We actually we actually traveled all the way to um, to Bali for the Ocean Conference, which is a big conference that moves to a new location every year to talk about the health of the ocean and the health of coastal communities. And it's a lot of NGOs and uh, government organizations that are getting together to find solutions. And that was an amazing wake-up call for me to hear these people who had basically given their lives to figuring out this problem. And it's a pretty interesting community once you get involved in it and you start to meet these people and hear their stories. That's so cool that Human Scale took you on that journey. I I remember, well, you know, we're both ancient, right? <laughs> back in the day. Back in the day. Human back scale, in the day. Human scale was really just known for ergonomics, for keyboard trays and and then they started getting into ergonomic chairs. And it makes sense. You know, they started with people and really their thing was all about the health of a human. Being right. Ergonomic position starting there, but then they took a deep dive into toxic materials and all of that stuff. And it seems like you guys both went along on that ride and met some incredible, incredible people and really op- opened your eyes and human scales. And I think it's interesting, yeah. fascinating what human scale is, is trying to do right now. It was, it was, it was transformative for me, for sure. And I think it all started. Uh, back in 2007, I was with Human Scale, and at the time, we really were. We were about people. How do we create environments that allow people to interact with technology in a way that they stay they stay safe? It's a it's a safe and comfortable and productive environment for them. And we started doing some work because the U.S. Green Buildings Council, USGBC, was moving their office. And so Human Scale had stepped up and said, "Hey, we'll you know we'll help you out. We'll 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 give you some, we'll help you put some product in your space to help your people." And in the process of doing that, I, I sort of asked, "Hey, what is this LEED certification that you talk so much about?" And they told me all about it. And I said, "Wow, that's that's really interesting because we're really about protecting people, and you're all about protecting the planet." from these buildings. But don't you think that there's a conversation here around the people that inhabit these environmentally conscientious spaces that you're creating? And they said, yeah, that's that's a pretty good point. So I worked with our uh, ergonomics director at the time, and we wrote a lead credit. It was an innovation credit at the time. And we wrote that whole credit out so that design teams, if they wanted to pay attention to ergonomics, they could earn an innovation credit in their LEED certification. And that's what really put human scale in that green environmental conversation. We realized that we had a place there. But 
for me, it really opened my eyes to this whole conversation and where it could go. At the time, the CEO, our CEO, Bob King, who's the founder of HumanScale, was always about the planet. And his focus was really on, on saving animals that were being destroyed, species that were being destroyed. He was a huge uh, WWF supporter. And so he was on the animal side of things. So I came in on the planet side of things and together we started to, and I think a lot of people and companies that get into this conversation, you start out with this environmental perspective, but it very quickly turns into a socioeconomic perspective because you realize that the environmental concerns are actually very much social Every, socioeconomic. Everything's connected. It's crazy. Yeah. Was, Everything is yeah, connected. I was just yeah. reading a story about how minority populations in New York are doing poor, more poorly in school because of the hotter days and mm-hmm. schools in those communities don't have the best air conditioning and things like that. It's yeah. When you see a connection like that, you're like, Oh my gosh. Well, take a minute and, and tell us, how you got involved in this? Because let me just take a second here. Yeah, you were born. You were born in Nicaragua, right? Yes. And from a mother who apparently wields a mean machete. <laughs> Where did you get that? <laughs> a machete wielding mama. You take notes when we go drinking, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. I pay very close attention to what you say when you're inebriated. <laughs> you studied fine art right? At San Jose. And then eventually landscape architecture at the Harvard School of, um, Harvard Graduate School of Design. So how did you get where you are now? I, I, here's my, here's me, here's my gut telling me that (laughs) your roots growing up in Nicaragua probably have you a little bit more tuned in to our planet and the environment than you otherwise might be. You are, you're very astute and I never, wow. Yeah. I never really thought about that, but when you walk, I mean, when you see the, the socioeconomic divide, right. We lived of course in, in the gringo on the gringo Hill in you know, nice little, nice home, gated community protected, but we walked down to town, to town, and the, the closer we got to the center of this was when we lived in Honduras and Tegucigalpa. We'd the streets got worse to to the to the point where they were they were just dirt, and we had to walk. We walked through slums to get to town, and so it it you're wow. I feel like I'm in a on a couch right now. <laughs> you thought of that connection? I'd always thought it was because my dad. He was very frugal. He worked for the Forest Service. You're we always conserving, and and I, so I grew up with that that mentality. That that's and well, your dad was a scientist. Yes, yes, very so, practical. Always talking about cause and effect, and very we lived a very thrift life. It was not like anything like and not anything like what it is like today with the with the consumerism and and what we buy and spend and waste and it's it's 
it's crazy how different of a life it is. And that both of those things definitely um, set a tone for me. But I feel like when I finished college, I started, I I took this U-turn with with my partner and started an interior design firm with no interior design background. Thankfully, a lot of the design that I'd studied in grad school related and I loved doing space planning and things like that and became really passionate. Just We were in the Silicon Valley and immediately took on workplace as our charge to change because we saw so many things that weren't working with workplace. And so we feel like we we started a revolution in workplace at O plus A. And, but then the two, and a lot of it had to do, a lot of it was still that thrift mentality. Back in the day in the nineties, firms weren't, they weren't gutting whole floor plates. They weren't taking out every single wall and, the ceiling and the floors, they were re- reusing what they could. I feel like in the, in the 2000s, this, the excess and the, the VC capital and all these startups and this, and, you know, the, the whole tech boom, people just got crazy. And there's, there's only so much you can do when your client wants X, you got, you got to give them X. And we just got on that, that, roller coaster ride with them. And a couple of years ago, I started going, thinking to myself, what are we doing? And we are, and then last year I started saying, we're designing for the 1% and how can we do something else? And, and then I woke up to climate change in a big way and I feel really stupid. And you're of course, 10 years ahead of me as always. <laughs> it was the fires in California. That yeah. finally got me. I'd always wanted to do more about climate change, but really just felt helpless. And so I just kind of put it in a little box and, and buried it away like most people. But the, the fires year after year, last year I had this, uh, was it the New Yorker sitting sitting there and it was a year old talking about the fires from the previous year. And it was this picture of a, of a, swimming pool in LA with the the fires in the hill in the background, right? And just this stark image. And I started reading the article and it just blew my mind. And I'm like, who's this author? Bill McKibben. Why does he ring a bell? Well, in 19, well, I'm going to give away my age. In 1990, in grad school, a friend of mine had given me the End of Nature book, the book End of Nature, which is the seminal book about climate change. One of the seminal, along with Rachel Carson, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm so embarrassed to say I never, I never ended up reading it. And I, every time I look at that book, I felt super guilty, not because I hadn't read it, because but because I never gave it back to this person. <laughs> now I, <laughs> now I know how to find her. But it all just came crashing down on me, going, "Oh my god, I need to wake up." I couldn't even remember the name of this author, and like, I need to read this book, and I need to get get on this. And then at the same time, Avi from Metropolis, Avi, oh, I'm going to say his name, last name wrong, Rajapool from Metropolis magazine reached out. He does these think tanks and he's like, let's do something. And I'm like, okay, but the only thing I'm thinking about right now is what can we do? So we, we had a think tank called uh, designer times activist. And we asked ourselves, that question, like what, first, what does it mean? How do you define yourself as an activist? And then what can we do 
if we take that chart, take on that charge. And so I declared the year 2020 my year of action. And then, of oh, course, good year for that, Varda. Good job. <laughs> so, and, let me tell you, let me tell you what I declare the year 2020 to be. <laughs> I needed to, I, I mean, I, I need, I felt like I needed to catch up because you'd already been doing this for 10 over 10 years. And I felt like I needed to play some big time catch up and figure out what my firm could do and what I could do personally. So I wrote a story for fast times. Um, no fast company. Oh, fast times. Fast, fast, times at Ridgemont High. fast times at Ridgemont high was an awesome movie. As Chad Nelson, CEO of Surfrider, told us the other day, his role as Jeff Spicoli did no favors to the surf community, oh. but, but Verda, you were not writing for fast times. Okay. <laughs> You were writing for Fast Company. I think I'm putting Fast Business Times and Fast Company together. Yeah, I'm talking. Okay. All right, Fast. I'm going to stay here to keep this ship on course, yeah, Bertie. Thank you, you just- John. You, you, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> fast Company that designers need to step up and yeah. to climate action, and and it was a call to action for for myself, for my firm, and for hopefully the rest of the industry. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, and you and I were talking about going on the road and doing some talks, and we even had a few lined up. Yeah, we had some gigs lined up. It was really exciting. I was really looking forward to it. And we said, hey, you know, Verda, you can be the voice of the creatives, and you can be the one who can rattle the saber and create this call to arms and say, we're not we're not doing enough, and, and I can be the activists who can point out some of the areas that perhaps we could do a better job at. And we would have a specialist join us for each one of these where we could talk about something new and inspiring. And it was, it was really going to be a, a very, very cool program. And then this freaking stupid COVID thing hit. And what I loved about us regrouping, finally regrouping after a few months of I guess just sitting in our living rooms in shock. Working. I believe they call it quarantine. Quarantine <laughs> shock is that what what I what I think I brought to my firm is this artist perspective, but this outsider perspective. I wasn't a trained interior designer, and I think it it creative naivety. Yeah, creative naivety. That's called what absolutely. <laughs> That's what it's called, creative naivety. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you shouldn't be doing. You just, it's a blank slate. There you go. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> through and through. But base, but I, I do think that it, an artist asks, asks questions, whereas a designer solves problems. And so I, I kind of brought both of those together, asking questions and solving problems from, from a, a, a lens outside of our industry. And I think that that's, fundamentally transformed how O plus A approaches a project, even today, and, and how we solve for design. And, and that's what I love about our podcast is that we, we, we're specifically trying to focus on, not always, not exclusively, but we're looking to those outside of our industry to see what we can, what we can learn from them and bring back. And I think yeah. that's what I love about it. And that's what's just gets me up every day to, to record these interviews. And I, every time we do that, I learn so much. I agree. And I think that what we need, we need new voices in this conversation because 
we all get comfortable with things and that's a that's a big problem right you 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 don't want to get comfortable with things and when it comes to sustainability and environmental activism we all have these names for it right and the industry has all sorts of jargon around it and we got caught up in this thing where if i worked for a design firm the design firm would have one sustainability person whose job it was was to make sure that that firm did things when they could. And that person ended up being like the environmental police person. And everybody got annoyed with that person because all they did was nag people, right? And so we eventually came to this point where the only people talking about what needed to be done were the experts, were the environmentalists, the sustainability officers, the, the scientists. And that's a problem. We need lay people talking about this. We need normal, everyday people talking about this, saying you don't have to be a scientist to understand that we are in a crisis. It's not about, do you believe science or do you believe we're in a crisis? We are in a crisis. So it's about, are you doing something about it? And everybody needs to be a part of the conversation. Nobody should feel like they're not qualified to be a part of this conversation. Verdi, you should feel absolutely qualified in calling people out and asking questions as an artist. And I should be completely qualified as an, a self-proclaimed activist to, to, to call people out and to say, what the, what the hell are we doing here? What, why, are we, why are we where we are? Let me tell you a little story. I'm going to tell you a little story real quick, which I think will, will make my point. I had a neighbor many, many years ago Believe it or not, his name was Joe. He was a he was a great guy. I loved him. He was very funny, very, and he worked for you know a, a, a big power company. And he was in Mexico City once on business, and he got mugged in Mexico City. And when he told me the story, it was pretty amazing because what happened was he'd gone out to dinner with a colleague, and they were just walking down the sidewalk, and somebody came up behind him and bear hugged him, picked him up and threw him on his shoulder onto the sidewalk. And while he was laying there, they took his wallet and ripped off his watch and everything, and, and then they took off. And meanwhile, he, they'd broken his shoulder, and so he was hurt pretty bad. And to hear him tell the story, he said, you know, when they came up behind me and grabbed me, I laughed because I thought it was maybe a friend who had, who had seen me from behind, and they'd run up to give me a bear hug. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize I was being attacked until they threw me on the ground. And at that point, it was too late. I was already being mugged. And I feel that that's where we are as a society. We're very comfortable and we're very trusting that somebody at a higher authority is taking care of this problem for us. And so we're not ready to take it seriously yet. We think that there's other people out there that are going to take it seriously. And that's, that's where we have to hit the brakes and stop trusting that other people are doing things about this and stop assuming that there's this higher authority that's doing the right thing. That's one of the things I found out when I started talking about toxic ingredients. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody thinks the EPA is going to help us out. And the EPA isn't doing a thing to help us. Well, not anymore. (laughs) 
not, not since it's been gutted. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, that's where we're at. We, we have to stop. We're something awful has crept up behind us and put us in a bear hug. And we still think it's a friend sneaking up on us. Yeah. And unfortunately, I hope that it doesn't take us realizing it's not a friend because that at that point it might be a little too late. And part of, I think the problem is we, to shift is, is going to be a lot of effort on everyone's part, on the government, on our leaders, on the businesses and corporations that, that run things and on every individual and, the wake up call needs to come up, come out, come up sooner rather than later. Yeah. You got to, you know, you got to toll the bell, yeah. however that thing goes well, for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. But, but I, and you could say, Verda and John, all you guys are doing are talking, you know, so you got your podcast like 1700 million other people do big whoop de ding dang do. But here's what happens when you talk about it and you reach out to people and you, you give their voice a platform or you allow their voice to be heard and you propagate their message and you get behind it and you incorporate it into your own DNA and their voice becomes a part of your voice and your voice becomes a part of their, it, 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 it's contagious. And, and we, I feel that you and I have an opportunity to bring some new voices into our industry. And it's, I think it's, um, I think it's going to be really exciting. I even looking back at some of the people that we've talked to for this podcast, you know, I can't wait to release those conversations and and get them out there. Well, you just said scientists, um, but I I was really intimidated and worried about our last, the last interview we had with Zach, the chemical Mm. engineer from Oxford young man. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, this stuff's going to be so over my head and right. Right. Boring. Who knows? <laughs> but, but he was incredible. He, he totally brought it down to our level and he's so passionate about what he does. And I think that anyone that's intelligent like that can, can speak and reach people if they try. Yeah. And I think it takes people like us who are willing to take that message and distill it into terms that we can all make connections to. Because unfortunately, Zach is going to be speaking at conferences and at places to other scientists and to other engineers. But is Zach going to be invited to speak at Neocon? or HD Expo so that we can all find out more about green ammonia? I don't, I don't think so. But his story, while scientifically grounded, should be very inspirational to any designer who, Verda, as you said, is a problem solver, or any artist who is inherently asking questions. Right. Right. And that's... You know, and that's and and we called this podcast "Break Some Dishes" because we believe that sometimes you got to go in the kitchen and break some damn dishes to to get people's attention. You, right? You came up with that name, actually. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, it's just a phrase that I've used for a long time. 
You know, it's, I think it's a phrase that kind of goes along with, you know, if you want to make a good omelet, you got to break some eggs. <laughs> so if break some dishes was taken, we probably could have gone with break some eggs. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm on the West Coast and you're on the East Coast because I don't think I'd want to like actually get into a kitchen with you. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> a scary. Hey, that might be a future podcast. We might, <laughs> no uh, omelets. we might, no omelets. So no cooking show after we get famous from this podcast, John? No cooking show, no um, cooking TikTok videos. I don't see that happening, but we'll, we will do something different with our newfound celebrityism. <laughs> we'll have to get involved in some scandal, I think. <laughs> I know you're good at scandal, John. <laughs> I can, I can do a good scandal. I know that, but uh, you know, it's, we got to wrap up, I guess, right? But uh, it was kind of fun doing this episode where we just sort of revisit why we're doing this, right? That's right. Scandal goes hand in hand with upending the status quo, disrupting things. Breaking stuff, blowing stuff up. That's right. But it's it's been fun so far, right? We haven't... Yeah, and I'm excited because I feel like it's it's... It's bringing a lot of things together that I've been wanting to bring together around just doing something as an individual, thinking about how I could do something as a corporation, and then thinking how we can really move the needle with government and legislation and and break some dishes where they need to be broken sooner rather than later. I've been just really thinking about that, the clock that's ticking and climate change, and everybody's making these these packs to get to net zero carbon neutral by 2035 or 2050, but I feel like nothing is soon enough. And I wonder if some of these, some of these countries or whoever is making these commitments start to realize that it's not that hard and maybe they bump that clock forward and whatever we can do to get people to start realizing that we need to do it. Yeah. And how about the people we're meeting in the process? Oh, I'm learning so much. I I'm, I love the fact that we're just getting to meet some amazing people who are unbelievably generous with their time and willing to sit down with us for an hour and share their experiences and tell us about what they're doing and for us to be able to bring those voices and those um, those outlooks into our industry to maybe shake things up a little bit has been. I mean, I feel like we're lucky to have the opportunity to do that. So Yeah, and talk to these incredibly smart and amazing people that are breaking some big time dishes. So keep listening to us because we're going to keep doing this. And if you've enjoyed it thus far, I guarantee you're going to like it even more because we're getting better and better at this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, we're getting about one episode out a week. So keep an eye on episodes. And we look forward to... Seeing you in a week or so. Yeah, stay with us to keep breaking dishes. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody. We're going to sign off on this one. The 